0: welcome to Horus Heretics episode 15. I'm William. I'm Neil. And today we're talking about Battle for the Abyss by Ben Counter. So Neil, um, any first thoughts? Uh,
1: I think you've got to make a mea culpa to make, William, I think. i will just going to step back from the mic and let you um, apologise to me. To the listeners, to your family. Um, (laughs) But most of all to myself. Um, No, well, that's the person I care least about in this (laughs) situation. So,
0: um, over to you. Uh, So, this is the second time we're recording this episode. There's a whole uh, recording that will never be heard The last episode. Um, So, yeah, and that was my fault somehow. I don't know how it happened, but I only recorded about 15 minutes of it. So... Okay, so after that uh, is out of the way, we start this story on. Uh, well, we don't. We start it on Mars, and then we quickly go to a remote uh, shipbuilding site for the Mechanicum, where a massive ship has been built. Would you like to fill us in on a bit of that, Neil?
1: Yeah, yeah. the The shipyard uh, Thul. Uh, it's an orbital shipyard um, around uh, one of the moons of Jupiter, and it's uh, it's considered a backwater um and one of it, it, its sort of sole purpose it seems has been the construction of an enormous ship called uh the uh, the furious abyss uh the the word bearer vessel um and we are there on board as they commission this ship whatever we had this conversation last night and we didn't. Um, come to an agreement, it, whenever they break a bottle of champagne on the, the hull of a ship, whatever that's called, whatever process that's called, yeah. um, they are doing that along with Kelbor Hal, the head of the Mechanicum. Yeah, and and like
0: the, the word bearers are on there and they're literally about to take off on their voyage for which the ship was built, which was to destroy... The ultramarines or was it to destroy their primarch specifically or their home world it was to strike a major blow against the ultramarines anyway yeah uh, and I'd,
1: we should say that this is this is set before any of the um previous uh treachery has been uh known about so the word bearers are fully traitors, but they have the um the advantage of not being out in the open, although it's clear that something that's going to change very soon, because they're they're all wearing newly commissioned armor uh, made by Mars, and uh, what was a sort of boring grey armor that they had is now blood red and like covered <coughs> in scripture and horns and. <laughs> um, really yeah they they look the part
0: and yeah that's a good point actually that this is illustrating that how they were really ahead of the curve in terms of becoming chaos because this is before all that most of the other stuff's happened but they're already it's pretty deep-rooted in the word bearers obviously and um the uh i can't i don't actually know because there is a reference in previous books to um, like Horus talking to someone about the word bearers being sent to just kill the Ultramarines, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it has been sort of um, just made mention of, but not not in any detail.
0: Yeah, but they've obviously had heretical stuff going on for some time. As yeah. have um, the the makers of the ship is uh, the Mechanicum, obviously the the um, machine worshippers of mars who build most of the tech for the imperium and uh, they i believe they in the course of the story they kind of some of them go on horus aside some of them stay with the emperor but um this is obviously uh, being done secretly the building of the ship to support horus and the the chaos um, and, I was uh, going, I was about to say like the chaos revolution. I'm like, I'm sure, there's a term for this thing that's happening in these books, uh, and, and I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's the Horus Heresy. Yeah, the
1: Horus right. Her- Well, I mean, uh, we, our name is the Horus Heretics. Did you remember that well? <laughs> yes. Um, although we're, we've done very bad in terms of search engine optimization, I don't even think we're on the first page of, of Google. It's really difficult to find us. <laughs> <laughs> we probably need a website, you know. That that'll probably pick us up. But if we were um, to have a website, we'd probably need to do something with it. And then I mean,
0: yeah, I was thinking maybe just an Instagram. So like, you know, oh. we could we could post pictures of like the merch we've bought and stuff like that. But <laughs> well, you could. I I haven't <laughs> ever done that so.
1: Well, I'm going to buy you some merch, Neil, so don't worry. Okay, well, I'll just um, throw it out. Um, <laughs> we should, uh, the, the person that we're introduced to right off the bat is Zadkiel. He's the word-bearer captain of this ship. He is... Um, pretty much all the word-bearers give off an impression of being, like, really unbearable. <laughs> the, the, every time you mention, or Zadkiel is mentioned in the book, he's giving a sermon or a benediction or you know something like that they all talk with this huge gravitas uh in fact that's a word that came up i wanted to read this uh description of zadkiel um he it it says uh a red dawn is rising and it will drown our enemies in blood. Heed the power of the word and know it is our destiny Zadgil bellowed as he delivered the sermon animated and fervent upon a dais of obsidian (laughs) scripture carved into his patrician features and bald skull added unneeded gravitas to Zadgil's oratory (laughs) So, (laughs) so, so he's got like he's got shit carved into his face and while he's giving this benediction everyone's looking up at him and going the speech is good enough mate you don't, <laughs> you don't, <laughs> no. you don't need to you don't need to over egg the pudding right here this is too much I um, want that phrase
0: unneeded <laughs> un- <crap. laughs>
1: yeah exactly but that, that could follow every single sentence any word bearer says basically because we find out Zadkiel's got horns um, yeah. we find out that there was another person I think it's Icthalon ich- yeah, uh, he he doesn't just have horns; he's got extra sets of horns. Well, he's got a,
0: he's got discreet horns. Discreet, oh, discreet horns. So it's much more subtle than Zadkiel you know.
1: <laughs> um. So yeah, whenever we mention like a conversation happening between word bearers, you can just sort of imagine in your head that it's being done with too much gravitas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I know, and it, some, it almost seems at times as if
1: Zadkiel communicates only through the medium of the sermon. You know, like yeah, yeah. but by it's it is good in the book in that like whenever he comes up, he explains everything that is going going through the minds <laughs> yeah. of the word bearer Legion. Like he is he is Captain Exposition in this book, and uh, this one starts off I think like almost like Predator, uh, the movie Predator, whereas like you know everything that's going on, you know uh, Jesse Ventura's character, you know uh, Billy's character, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, um, everything is shorthand, everything you've seen before in other action movies, they're just trying to do the best one of those, and it works really well. And yeah, on that note, I think you have referenced one of Azad Keel's
0: kind of lieutenants, um,
1: <laughs> his, so. his troop of cliches. <laughs> <laughs> so, Which cliche are you?
0: So we've got we've got like one who's described as being quite young and he's really sycophantic. Called Reskill, he's the most boring one. Um, <laughs> then we have one who is Belanos, and he is described as a pi- private terror weapon who lacked imagination and had a granite slab of a face. Um, <laughs>
1: And then that's a really like that's a really commonly used adjective. Yeah, I know. There's
0: been there's been a previous person who had some form of stone for a face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's uh, the one you mentioned already, Icthalon, whose CV uh, headline is company chaplain, demagogue, and expert torturer. I mean, that's literally how he's described in the in the book. We don't actually like in this part of the book that we've read so far. We don't. See a whole lot of those lieutenants. I mean, they, they they pop up a bit, but I think they're going to come into their own in this the second part of the book.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's probably true. Um, although you say rescue is the most boring one, I think he's got the most um, potential for the second half of this book because I I love a good uh, sycophantic. Oh no, am I thinking Exelon? I'm yeah, like. Sycophantic's the wrong word but like a, a sneery um backbiting arsehole do you know yeah, that, the, do you know the kind it. of
0: character i mean yeah that's the he's described as sarcastic and uh but um Zadkiel keeps likes him above him, him around because <laughs> he knows that like because he kind of knows that like wants someone who's actually going to you know, come up with different ideas and stuff like that. I think, and that's not obviously not going to come from Baylanus because he lacks imagination to he a, likes a great it, yeah. extent. Um, He's got too much of a slab of a face. <laughs> so that's, I mean, there's one other word bearer who's probably going to come become significant, and that's this novice who appears at one of um, called Altus, who appears at one of Zadkill's sermons and asks him some questions as if you know he thinks there's a legitimate philosophical debate going on and it's not just like yeah uh, we're he's, doing an he, evil power grab now uh, he's
1: going to turn into a demon in this book i reckon <laughs> yeah
0: i know because like Zadkill sort of goes hmm but there is a purpose for altus and all this he's pissing yeah. me off a bit but um he's going to serve a purpose so he'll probably come back so then on the other side of it uh, we've got the ultramarines uh um, oh. who are whose the main guy is called cestus He's um, shit, that guy. He's pretty boring, but then he's got some lieutenants who are even more boring <laughs> than him and pretty much indistinguishable. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, well, no, no, that... Uh, I'll make the distinction. Wersestus Worcesters- was governed by emotion, but prone to caution. Antigues was at times choleric and insistent and less intense than his brother captain. Now, we talked I, about this last night. I I can't... I don't know what those words in that order mean. Like, I don't I know either, Yeah, yeah um but yeah th- there's also Sapphrax um and all three of those barely make one character yeah uh, th- they are meant to each provide you know one aspect of um of the argument that Cestus so appreciates you know each of their um individual personalities come together and through their arguments and conversation um he finds the right way through, apparently, but that is not depicted even once during the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, we don't even have a Joker, a Stoic one, a hothead, you know what I mean? No, like, we're- I know.
1: <laughs> but, but even that I'm on board with because the Ultramarines are boring. Like, we, we talk about the gimmicks of, um, of each of the Legions. The, the gimmick of the Ultramarines is uh, rigid pragmatism. Uh, god well, I, I, that's that's essentially a synonym for boredom uh, but we do have some some color thrown in there by other legions here as well yeah
0: but they are you've mentioned the gimmicks of the legions and these characters sort of really are just like ciphers for their legions yeah. pretty much so you've got um bringar who's a space wolf and you've got they uh, they they uh, heavy drinking vikings yeah, like when we first meet them, he's literally having a massive fight with his, with, with other space wolves just for fun. And yeah, the, oh, exactly. Yeah. And he, he starts a fight with Cestus uh, as well. Remember that he like, throws a d- chair at
1: him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because he's so drunk, he can be. Uh, he's the fight is ended by him being battered into a, a big stack of uh, casks of mead, which which all then fall on him, and. Uh, he squeezes out the the mead in his hair and beard into his mouth, um, and goes. There there are worse ways to lose a fight. And I'm like, I'm on board with this guy. After being so bored by the ultramarines, I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's got something to say. Yeah, and
0: then we've got uh, Skrull of the World Eaters and a few other World Eaters. So we know exactly just, who they are. Yeah, they yeah. just want to use their chain swords. At every opportunity and just have a massive kill fest and like you do get the other space marines sometimes having a bit of unease but like even the they sort of make a distinction between like the space wolf space wolves being really ferocious in their combat but even like they're kind of
1: they have some pretty, nobility of, of some kind
0: yeah and they're a little bit uneasy with the the world eaters pure just dedication for killing basically and um then we've got MOTEP of the Thousand Sons. And we talked a bit about how the Thousand Sons are like sort of 19th century museum
1: curators. <laughs> I, yeah, I like to think of them as um, as sort of uh, Victorian uh gentlemen collectors, <laughs> you know, they just traverse the world stealing random shit from every culture they visit.
0: I mean, I think everyone that's been mentioned so far in any of these books has a cabinet of curiosities
1: that's <laughs> mentioned in like the first for few paragraphs. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and um, um, so yeah, like we, we've been introduced to them before, and one of them, uh, one of them's home was a library in a pyramid. <laughs> uh, so, good start up with that guy. Um, should we should we talk about the short-lived life of Hector? Yeah.
0: So the, so yeah. Sorry, just to give you a bit of scene setting here. These two groups we've described. So you've got the the word bearers on their big ship that we maybe should give a short physical description. Oh of, yeah. We'll come up to a space battle, so we can we can describe it then maybe. Um, and we've got uh, so the ship's really their ship is kind of the centre of this narrative, and then we've got the the um, the Ultramarines and the Space Wolves and the World Eaters and the, and MOTEP, the Thousand Sun, they are all on an Imperial space station that isn't sort of run by any one of these groups but they're all there for reasons that are not really spelled out as far as I could tell. But um, And then they get, they receive word somehow or a message that another Ultramarine ship has been destroyed or has become lost um, out in space and that is the one that Hector was on if you'd like to.
1: Yeah, they're, they're expecting uh, the Fist of Macrag, which is commanded by Hector um, they're expecting it to come and pick them up um, and sort of take them on a uh, take them back to the Legion because they, they've been separated from them for a little while um, but the, uh, the ship has the, the Fist of McCrack has encountered the Furious Abyss the same day, as far as I can make out, the same day that uh, the ship was launched, uh, it comes across this space marine um, vessel and it destroys it really easily. It's, a, it's not a fair fight, but uh, it's somehow they, they manage to shoot off uh, an astropathic psychic message which uh, reaches the folks on the Vangelis Stadium, uh, Vangelis Station, and um, it's slightly broken up and slightly fucked up. But um, the the long and short of it is that um, there is some attack about to go down, some large uh, catastrophe involving a huge ship. Um, and this is received and conveyed to Cestus and Cestus in the course of uh, a sort of his daily actions has a, a vision of McCrag, the homeworld of the, of his legion uh, and something terrible happening to it. And he is the only one who has this vision. He asks, he does ask everyone because <laughs> <laughs> yeah he sees that
0: in at the end of this message or as part of this message that sensor doesn't he? he sees a vision of the planet I think
1: no right. well uh, uh, there's a, a a thing where he manages to see if the uh the the core of the station which is going uh, the plasma core is going nova or something and inside it inside the flash of the plasma core he sees. McCrag, but uh, that's right yeah. that's a MacGuffin. it doesn't matter
0: is that the is that the core they save by throwing grenades at it uh,
1: well uh, they 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 do go to try and save the core without a plan and i think it's even the space wolf who says like do we have a plan and um cestus goes ah, we'll sort something out and they go and they say how many grenades have you got and the, the answer is loads <laughs> At uh, which point they all throw their grenades at it, but it's the grenades don't do anything. There is some it somehow it fixes itself. I think <laughs> I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, Cestus is the only one who sees it, something, uh, and he goes, "Did anybody else see that?" And everyone goes, uh, "No." Uh, seeing something would be sorcery. I didn't see anything, and Cestus uh, <laughs> goes. Nah, I me mean neither. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah fine. And
0: that vision he has sort of drives the rest of the story because we already know the Word Bearers are going after the Ultramarines. So Cestus senses this somehow, but not in a way that he can openly speak about. And uh, and he wants to go from the space station and check out the site where they've, from which they've had this broadcast about another Ultramarine ship being attacked or or something, um, and. Uh, so, they he asks the other space marines if they'll help, and the ones that are on the space station they say, Yeah, like the ones from other legions. And they commandeer a ship from uh that forms part of the Saturnine fleet, and um, which is described in quite a cool little bit of detail. And um, so, these are this is like they're part of an old empire that was based around Saturn, you know, presumably in the early days after humanity had spread out from earth and then lost contact with earth so they had a uh, so they have a kind of naval tradition and it was quite it was just a nice little bit of detail the way that was described and
1: but somehow their their naval traditions are entirely the same as uh 17th century british (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> naval vessels fighting pirates, basically. Primarily revolving around
0: having wood paneling in inside <laughs> of their ships. Yes,
1: yes, you you can almost see a huge steering wheel, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: and there, so the the admiral of this ship is Kaminska, and she is, I and mean, she's a fairly one-dimensional character, but she does. Uh, get annoyed, understandably, with Cestus just taking over her ship and issuing really nonsensical orders. Um, and so that's always I think we always appreciate that when someone uh gets annoyed at Space Marines. Um, yeah, and she's quite a central character. Uh, and then there's, so there's a bunch of other ships that come with them. Motep
1: has his own ship. Um, uh, can I know? can I describe Motep a bit? And it's um. It also describes his ship and gives colour to, you know, a, a lot of drab um, space marines, but you cannot throw the word drab at Motep. Um, his, his attire, his robes are stitched in runes. His attire suggested the arcane. Hmm. Uh, his private sanctum, they all have private sanctums. Like The, the sanct, word sanctum comes up a, a tonne. He's surrounded by esoteric paraphernalia, well-thumbed archaic tomes, criss-glass cabinets filled with bizarre arcana, oculum of many-hued lenses, many-hued lenses is a lovely term, a bejewelled gauntlet, a plain silver mask fashioned into an ersatz skull, gilt-panelled walls were swathed in ancient charts in burnished metal frames cast in the azure glow of eldritch lamps. So there you go. I mean, the free the the term Eldritch. I think um, tells you everything you need to know about this guy. It's great.
0: So, wait, we've got a whole book on the Thousand Suns coming up soon. I'm quite looking forward to that. I mean, imagine how
1: many uh, esoteric objects are going to be in that book. I really uh, look forward to all. It's going to be just a, a walk through the arcane. Hopefully, that <laughs> one. So, so uh, I I do look forward to it. Um, okay, so they.
0: Uh, Quite quickly, the story moves to them being at the site where the the fist of McCrag, the other ultramarine ship, was destroyed. So they've got a mini, they've got a mini kind of fleet of their own, uh, mainly the, the the big ship being the Wrathful, the one that's kind of captained by um, uh, Kaminska. Kaminska, yep, yeah. and and that Cestus has now taken charge of. And they come out to this point, and they um, pretty quickly end up in a fight with the big word bearer ship um, the furious abyss
1: surprisingly quickly I, I thought they were going to keep that but no they've, they've clearly got more bigger plans <laughs> Yeah. so this ship um, it's quite an unusual
0: <laughs> trident shape um, so big trident shape and giant book in the front of it um, <laughs>
1: yes that's more
0: unusual I
1: would have thought and that
0: book's important
1: it's going to become important <laughs> But sure, I mean, it's just a big metal book. It's just a a, a pry. It's a figurehead, isn't it? I mean, it's just solid metal, isn't it? Um, a little more to it than that, Neil. But uh, okay, Ooh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so they get into a battle, uh, and Motip and one of the smaller ships engages with the Furious Abyss first, and he gets them He has a sort of call with them, and they try to win him over to um their side because they are aware that the thousand sons have shown a bit of a predilection for magic and sorcery and whatnot
1: so uh, and that has been banned by yeah. the the emperor uh, i'm not sure have has has that been said before that the emperor in this um this council of nicaea has um banned magic from the legions obviously so, because yeah. it's to do with the warp
0: yeah, I think so cuz like Magnus has popped up. Remember in in one of the previous books Magnus was there. I'm sure it would have been referred to there. The one where the emperor appears, I can't remember. Dark okay. Angels book maybe. I don't know. Um but uh yeah, so so they they try to win him over. He doesn't he's not going for it. Um there's a, a space battle. Uh there's some fighters come from the Imperial side, but the the Word Bearers use psychic powers to turn some of the crew members of those ships and and you know bring them down from the inside kill the pilots and so on um and the uh there's a lot of pretty good description of space battles here and like how I really
1: enjoyed this bit I have to say
0: yeah so it's like the sort of you know how it's all works on a sort of slow time scale because these massive vessels are um you know turning and maneuvering
1: in, in space and trying I, to get there and although they're just absolutely enormous and this uh the furious abyss is just uh shocks everyone every time somebody sees it because it's so big but they're they're all all, every attack is from hundreds of kilometers away so it always takes a long time for anything to happen
0: yeah and this battle is going i mean the the furious abyss is doing a lot of damage to the other ships but they're they're getting some uh, actually, no, they they fire a bunch of stuff at it and it doesn't really return fire for a while. Uh, like yeah, it, it, it does,
1: yeah, you do get the impression of like, well, this ship doesn't seem to be hot, that hot shit. It yeah, seems so to be like, being cut to pieces, really. So Motep, what's Motep's ship called again? The Waning the, Moon. That's the it. Waning
0: Moon, which is a yeah. good name. So the Waning Moon's getting a few hits on the Furious Abyss and then uh, the giant book opens and inside is... A giant cannon, um, which is you know.
1: Now, why does the book open? Why does it open? Yeah, like uh, w- surely, surely, a, a clever way of of building a, a ship would not involve a huge opening book. <laughs> 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 That's my point. I think is like why? Why any of this?
0: Well, uh, do you not well, have an answer to that? I mean, we've talked about the sermonizing, you know, so here's like, here's him just saying, like, here's the word of the book. It's a massive fucking canon, um, which is, which yeah. is like, is, is, I mean, there's a lot to be said for for that as a metaphor for everything that happens in these books. Um, True. I mean,
1: that that's a metaphor with unneeded gravitas to me. <laughs> yeah. Like the big canon was enough to have it emerging from a book. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, yeah, so they've got they've got a big laser gun, and this is a, a trope in like tons of shitty sci-fi and fantasy books and films. Is the secret weapon yeah. that just staggers everybody when they see it, and I love it every single time. <laughs> like I th- I can't think of one that that's done badly. I can just like
0: you can just imagine all the Mechanicum. Uh, people that you know that signed up to this chaos enterprise and um they're already working they're already working overtime just to get this you know more powerful ship than anyone can say they've ever really seen before going with this huge uh, laser cannon and then suddenly like a new order comes in and says oh yeah and it has to be inside an openable boot <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah exactly it's just the customer always like changing the blueprints just going oh, I, I like the book the book stays now i want the book to open and, like maybe the foreman goes oh do you want do you want the, uh, all the different pages to be in there as well do you want do you want all of them to be there they're only like 10 miles wide uh, and you want them to be of real paper fantastic of course yeah you can imagine
0: yeah that caused a lot of upset for said foreman um, So this you know. laser
1: weapon cuts the waning moon in
0: half Yeah
1: um, I felt really uncomfortable at the, the scene uh, in the waning moon as Motep saves himself and the um, the way that the normal the normal human crew are just sort of cast away and die um, It uh, all with the aim of saving the life of this one person and obviously we've seen humans being sacrificed before and um just mass loss of life but i think it's it's just slightly a weird um tonal shift i suppose in this book which had been all action movie and now we have like normal people just being terrified as they have no chance of living and, and these, the central characters of the books just not giving a shit.
0: And it's, it's the way that, like, Motip just so calmly walks through all this carnage. Like, people are dying in all kinds of horrible ways or are already dead around him. Because the, the ship has, you know, been opened up to the vacuum of space and, um, and he's just... Oh, sort of yeah,
1: there's a horrible scene about, like, these people uh, as they, you know, succumb to the to the vacuum. So, uh, some people keep breath in their lungs and, like, it, it pretty much explode from that. Or the people who are quick-witted enough to exhale freeze into death and stuff. Oh, it's awful.
0: And he, he just very calmly walks through this
1: to his sort of escape
0: pod thing. And he's like, at one point, someone kind of is trying to reach for him and he just sort of shoves him out of the way or just brushes him away. And walks on. Um, so he he gets away. The the waning moon is destroyed. He gets away um, and returns to the others, who, as a kind of feint, they disengage from um, the uh, word bearer ship with the plan of following them into the warp. And that is what happens. Even though the word bearers are kind of they're aware they might be followed, but they head
1: into the warp. Um, they clearly they have other plans, which means that they have to be there at a certain time. And so they're like, well, if they follow, they follow. We've got a, a little surprise for them.
0: Yeah, and so what they do is they drop a bomb, which is essentially like a little vessel filled with psychic psychers, and um, no, filled with psychers who kind of blow up and it causes this quake in the warp. Um, and so the, the the imperial ships do get in the in the warp uh, passage after them, but this psychic bomb they drop sort of collapses that particular
1: warp route, which is very bad. Somehow, it's that, that's, bad. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, and. I, we both agreed that the descriptions of
0: the warp were terrible, didn't we? I think we had uh, some disagreement on this.
1: Um, <laughs> where, uh, we both we both have this quote um, separately. Will thinks it's great and I think it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> is this? I don't, right, okay. I don't think it's
0: great. What I'm saying is it does the job it needs to do. So here's the quote. So this is after the bomb, the psychic bomb thing's been dropped. It's a mind with a coterie of screaming psychers inside it. Um, So it says, The warp quaked, love and hate boiled and ran together like paint, the agony of billions of years breaking and shifting like spring ice. Mountains of hope crumbled and oceans of lust drained into the nothingness of misery. Right. Um, Terrible. (laughs) The reason I think that works is because it just in a very relatively short passage, rather than just saying you know, just constantly saying it. it was indescribable, you know, it was like Euclidean geometry and shit like that, which does, <laughs> non-Euclidean geometry, sorry, uh, which does, you know, phrases like that do crop up here as well, but it actually descri- it describes actual things. And Admittedly, you can't picture them at all because obviously we can't imagine the kind of space-time warping into emotion and whatever, but like, so it doesn't really, descri- <laughs> it doesn't really describe something in a way that you can latch on to, but it kind of, does the job of uh, describing something very
1: unusual (laughs) Um, I I think that I I agree with everything Will just said and think that that is a point in my argument's (laughs) favour I think I want want something because I can do that I can put words together that nobody can picture you know I can talk about uh emotions with flavours or um, shapes turning into uh, fear or something like, I can do that as well. But nobody, I, I think a writer has to do more. Just make it, if it's if it's hard, I'm sure it will be hard, you know, but that's, that's a, the job of a writer, I think.
0: The thing I reckon I appreciate about it is it's like, it wasn't, th- something like this is probably not going to be done well, as you define it at all in the, in a book such as this, but it's at least done with economy here like <laughs> four and a bit lines short. and you kind of know what's been what they're getting at. Just that there's some, some very, very weird shit, um, happens when this warp okay, is collapsed. Uh,
1: okay. I think that's a middle ground that we can reach <laughs> okay. is that it is terrible, but it's not terrible for long. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. Um,
0: so inside the ship, the the main ship, they're having a debate around a lacquered hexagonal table about what to do next. Um, this turned into a bit of an argument, and Motep takes himself off to an isolation cell to <laughs> meditate for the rest of the he's, he's, transit. Yeah,
1: Bringar, we 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 see that there is like animosity between um, Bringar of the Space Wolves and Motep because. Uh, the Space Wolves uh, hate witchery and magic, and the the sort of the Thousand Sons is that right? Yeah, the Thousand yeah. Sons um, are all about witchery and magic, so they 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 sort of clearly hate each other and have a a, a history of of uh, animosity between them, and they have a bit of an argument.
0: And Bringar pretty much is like snarling whenever he sees or hears motep and then the slightly this all happened without a great deal of decent explanation but um one of the uh, one of the smaller ships that had been with them which they kind of thought was lost to the warp i think they the, get the a signal from it. yeah they get a signal from it and i think well that's for some reason that's not something that would normally would be possible in warp travel and they they see or are told that it's pulling up beside them and, and they, they need to dock with it to um, rescue people from it. Uh, but this is all just some kind of warp illusion or trick. Um, and when they do that, I mean, they just really quickly do that, despite saying, oh, this is impossible, this thing could be speaking to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just-
1: and I'm not sure how much of it is real and how much of it is a warp trick. Yeah. And, and either way, they allow this to happen and it's perfectly possible for it to happen in the warp and you're like oh, okay and they begin this docking procedure at which point Motep feels something a bit like warpy happening like there's a, <laughs> something a bit chaosy to this
0: so uh, reluctantly he leaves his isolation cell
1: with his magic wand <laughs> he, he quickly grabs his magic wand and, and goes to, to inquire about the this sort of chaosy feel that he has. <laughs> There's something just a bit, hmm, about this. So he gets down to... He sees, oh, there
0: was some like security. When they went into the warp, the Kaminska sent round some sort of security personnel for the ship to just... Because they're aware that mon- monsters can kind of pop up in your ship when you're in the warp. So they'd sent some of them round, and sure enough, they got attacked by a warp monster. Take a
1: look for monsters, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and then Motep finds the Here's three of you <laughs> Go find a monster <laughs> And when they do uh, It the kills, him. kills them. <laughs> and-,
0: and Motep sort of Comes along and shoots it up Um, And then heads towards the dock He he bumps into Bringar and Skrull Come down for some reason um, That I can't exactly remember But uh, they all kind of end up On the dock and Motep so by this point there's a load of like the crew of the Fireblade have become kind of warp,
1: demon, monsters, manifestations of some sort and they are... And, and, and I felt that there was like there was some good description in this in that like the the crew of the ship had become uh, part of the hull of the ship and they were like moaning and screaming and endless torture and stuff like that. But there were also large... Bits where I just couldn't grab hold of what was attacking everyone, like uh, yeah, I just um just not not a great monster scene I thought here.
0: Because like yeah, the, in terms of like like in terms of the, for this whole section, there was there were some bits where it was described quite well. Like there was a bit where Ulargo, the captain of this ship, and this is sort of just going back a little bit to when the Fireblade got sort of consumed by the warp. it, it describes I thought quite well. Um, him in a way that shows you a human character um, in, you know, just a short description but I thought it was quite effective where he talked about all these, like, moments and memories from his life kind of um, manifesting in the physical space around him and all these emotions and stuff. Um, but then, like, when the the escort... Just a description that, like, is an example and I agree with you of, like, a moment when it was just, like, hard to know what was exactly meant by what was going on. So this, this bit says... The portion of the escort ship, so that's the fireblade, that had penetrated the cargo hold, eked from the belly of the ship like an umbilical cord. The tentacle strings, spilling from the maws at the end of them, revealed to be tongues. The sound that emanated from them was appalling. The warp screamed from the fireblade's throat, a screeching gale that threatened to knock Motep off his feet. He stayed upright, however, and found out and found what he was looking for in the partly insubstantial hull of the former Imperial ship. So, like, yeah, I mean, it's just like the sort of Choreography of that whole bit is just confusing, you know. There's different mentions yeah. of ships and where are they and what how are they connecting? It was just like um kind of confusing in a in a basic sense, you know, not in the sort of sense that it's meant to be a confusing yeah. thing from the war, but it was just not very well described. But um anyway, so there's a big fight going on because there's loads of these monsters, it's like sort of humans shapes but with massive mouths full of teeth and stuff like that. And they're they're pretty much filled easy. with teeth. <laughs>
1: well, sharp, really like, sharp like, teeth like terrifying
0: <laughs> really sharp teeth and they're uh, so there's a fight going on they're relatively easy for the space marines to fight and it, you know, so you hear about bringar running in and headbutting them and getting brain matter all over his helmet and stuff like that and like, um, they're relatively easy individually for them to fight but there's a lot of them, so they're getting a bit overwhelmed and then Motep says to um Bringar and the world eaters. He's like, get get out of this dock and I'll I'll shut this attack down, basically. Right? And um and they do that and they shut the door. Cestus and the ultimate marines turn up and then like Bringar's about to say like there's there's some sort of massive conflagration goes on in the dock and I think and Bringar's finally willing to, you know, say something nice about Motep and like be like, oh, that was pretty heroic, you know, pretty selfless. And then Motep emerges, you know, smoking from the smouldering deck. And he's alive. I to thought, the you thought
1: you were just going to say, he comes out and he's smoking his cigarette. <laughs> well, he's So he comes out and they're
0: like, oh, how can he possibly be alive? And Bringar starts muttering darkly, oh, it must be sorcery and all this. And that's yeah. pretty much the end of this section that we're covering today. Yeah. Um, so anything you wanted to add about that final bit? or is-
1: uh, No, no, just uh, I, th- I thought it was like, uh, there's obviously more that's going to happen between that those two. And it was a, a neat way of setting it up, is that this person, um, Motep, um, should have died and somehow didn't. And it's clear that like some kind of, uh, he, he either used magic, or he is in league with these evil warp practitioners. So, either way, he's um, he's going to run out of road with Bryngar at some point.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like, I am starting to notice actually how, in some ways, like it seems like the different stories in this series sort of jump about quite randomly, um, from like you know one region to another, or one area of the story to another but you do start to see how they like not really i'm not saying it's like really well structured or anything like that but they do almost like they're putting in little kind of teasers for the next you know some of the stories coming up so they obviously were planning they you know they knew they had a thousand suns and space wolves one coming up so it seemed like mm-hmm. they were trying to put some of this in and i've noticed a little bit of that where they just sort of are bringing in little mentions and elements of the stories coming up and and that seems really yeah, to here. I,
1: I, and i always think that th- that works better like that in that they just they show the animosity between the thousand sons and the space wolves what things like marvel movies and stuff do and i think it it is far worse when they do this is like they'll have a real character in who will again show up in a later book and that just seems really forced and um uh, just uh, everything's just too much of a coincidence, yeah. um, and uh, because if it, it makes the whole thing smaller, I think. Whenever you have this small cast of characters, and there's always this uh, a linking character between these different stories, yeah. when if if there's not, it it sort of gives it grants the whole thing uh, a bigger scale when something can be happening over in the, this other corner of the universe or of the galaxy without any, uh, any pre-existing characters taking part yeah. in that action.
0: Uh, oh yeah, we're thinking we're going to uh, do a Christmas special, which is, we've mentioned this a couple of times before, but there's a, oh, there's a book called, well, my version of it's called Draco. Um, what's your version of it called?
1: Um... Can't remember Inquisitor. I'm just looking up my Inquisitor, books right? Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's it's by they are the same book, or at least so we believe by uh, Ian Watson. That would be quite funny
1: actually if we if we read two separate books. I <laughs> wonder how long it would take us before we sort of we we're podcasting before we went. I don't remember that.
0: <laughs> we could probably go for like a good half an hour just like agreeing that there was like bad character descriptions in the first bit, <laughs> and that there was like, and that, you know, there was some like. Things getting shot up in the pages yeah. after that, you know.
1: But uh, uh, this was uh, suggested by a listener. We'll try and record that in a in a one shot and um, get that up over Christmas. The yeah. festive uh, episode will somehow yeah. work Christmas <laughs> we'll into get it. a
0: festive element into it. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, so that should be probably just before Christmas. We'll work that out and tell you the, in the next episode.
1: The next episode. Will be the conclusion of this, won't it?
0: Yeah, and that yeah will be the sixth no, yeah, the sixteenth of December.
1: Cool. And then the next week should be the this bonus episode.
0: Right, okay. So um, yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for anyone who's emailed us and we appreciate really appreciate um, hearing from listeners and if you want to contact us you can get us at horusheretics at gmail.com. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the second part of this book so we'll see you then Bye